Welcome to Lead Time Chats, where you can listen in on unscripted conversations between leaders in tech to help you make remote teamwork a little bit less challenging. I'm Jean, and I'll be your host. Lead Time Chats is brought to you by Range. Range helps remote teams work better together with asynchronous check-ins, integrated team building, fewer and more effective meetings, and easy goal tracking. When you run your team with Range, you'll always know what's going on without having to be in back-to-back -back meetings. To learn more about Range, you can check it out at range.co. Hi, Hong. Welcome to Lead Time Chats. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm particularly excited to have you here today um, because we are talking about the topic of building remote teams and I know you've been in the kind of early stage startup recruiting world for quite a while. Um, I don't know if I should say years or, or decades, but I guess the current situation we're in is, you know, we're, we're two years into a two plus years into a pandemic. Many teams have been working and hiring entirely remotely during this time. And, you know, people are, people are working with people that they've maybe never met in person before. So I'm curious, just kind of like, what are you seeing? Like, what are the challenges that, that people are, are facing that you're hearing about? Yeah. So just to give the audience some context, I've mm -hmm. been recruiting probably like 15 years, uh, <laughs> but I say like 10 years in the old, in the old way of doing it, which is early stage companies in Silicon Valley. And then the last two years have been not just building teams, but I actually had to let my own team go in that time mm -hmm. period. So I shut down my startup and, you know, had to find everybody a soft landing. And then I've helped a few founders do this in the last two years. And then in the last year, I have recruited for probably four or five companies. I won't mention, you know, which ones per se, but a lot of lessons learned in the last year have been like building these remote teams or finding remote um, employees to join an existing team. And it's difficult because like some of these teams have context. They've been working together four or five years mm -hmm. and then you're trying to find new people and the added challenge of doing interviewing remote. Yeah. You lose a lot of the nuance when you're not in the same room and you can potentially hire somebody remote. They never, ever come into HQ. They never, ever meet the team. And then you're expected to like work, you know, as you were normally uh, when you don't have that context. And I think that's really challenging. It sounds so. like one of the, the challenges is like when there's kind of like a core established group that's maybe was co-located or is mm -hmm. still co-located. And then so kind of the, the the disparity between like remote workers and then people who are maybe co maybe co-located, but also just geographically, like, like similarly located. Yeah. I think being in the same location is helpful, but being on the same time zone is overrated. Like people don't realize that it's just really important to be within similar time zones or the expectation set so that, you know, I just did a call with somebody on the East coast and she's like, it's time for dinner. And my son's here. Like, I'm like, cool. It's only midday here. Right. So <laughs> We still have like a lot of work to do, but it's the end of day for them. And so I think for teams that already exist, it helps to be very clear, like what the expectations are. So if you already have an existing team and, you know, two of the stars I work with are robotics and hardware, mm -hmm. we need the people in the office as, as best as we can, like obviously following all COVID protocols and things like that, mm. but there are teams there that will never be remote. And we just make it very clear, like this is not a remote role. I think every company has to figure out remote or has had to figure out remote in the last two years versus like remote first companies, which were actually very rare. If you think back to 10 years, very yeah. few, very few companies did that. I could probably name them off the top of my 
looks like five, five, six companies that were remote right. first. And so I think every company's had to do this transition, big and small startups to, you know, huge conglomerates had to do their remote policy or whatever. But now hopefully with, you know, I don't want to say the end of COVID insight, because we said that last year, but with like shifts in the pandemic, I think there's a return to office that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And there's no right or wrong, right? Like there are people who love being in an office. Like I love being in an office. I also don't love driving. So everybody will find out their own like personal preference and hopefully the team has a flexibility of schedule. I think flexibility is more important yeah. than anything. Compared to kind of the more traditional in-office recruiting and hiring that you were doing earlier on, what are the biggest shifts you've seen in the last two, three years? So there's a shift in like the way we do recruiting. And then there's also a shift, I think a major shift in the way candidates think about work. And so that's a bigger conversation we can have too. But the way recruiting's done is now, you know, it's very process oriented. Like it always has been, like I've always, you know, emphasized clean process and fast speedy kind of decisions. Mm-hmm. And these days more so than, than ever, because it's easier in some ways for people to interview. So I had a senior software engineer at a local startup and we reached out to her and, you know, her resume is available. It's LinkedIn hired all of that. She did 20 different interviews, 20 different companies. While working full-time or was while she working working full-time? Oh my God. <laughs> and wow. she got 12 offers. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. So, and we were like, we were one of her top two or three offers, but we didn't get, she didn't sign. And the thing is like the joke I made was everybody's recruiting or everybody's interviewing, but no one's getting hired because now think about this 20 companies. They all think they have a really solid candidate in the pipeline. She's going through the process. They're going to get to offer stage. And in the old days you get to an offer stage and you know, most likely they take it. So it's easier to interview. And so companies are spending a way more time interviewing, but not landing candidates. Right. And as a recruiter, I only care about the very end of the process, <laughs> right? So right. you can have all this great pipeline, all these great candidates, but at the end of the day, she can only take one offer. Right. Right. So yeah. you have 11 companies that are disappointed after whatever a month or for us, it was probably a month, but some companies it was probably six weeks of interviewing. Right. And she was a Yeah. Salary. I've been, I've been scheduling interviews and, and you know, was kind of stuck in the like, oh, I need to find a like block of time. And then mm-hmm. I was like, wait, I can, you know, this person's out of office, but I can schedule him for Tuesday and then schedule us other person for, you know, yeah. Wednesday and yeah. everyone's just at home anyways. So, right. you know, they're not like awkwardly in their, you know, <laughs> whatever, like uh, suspiciously nice clothing and like yeah. out, out of office for like two hours. <laughs> everyone's like, are you interviewing somewhere? Yes. The suspiciously nice clothing is very Silicon Valley thing. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, so on the, on the one hand, it's easier to interview candidates because you can have a sort of remote process. On the other hand, it's very easy for good candidates to be interviewing multiple places. Right. In between and then you meetings. Ma- right. Exactly. You mentioned that the other shift you're seeing is that candidates are thinking about work differently. Can you just yeah. kind of describe what that, what you've been seeing there? So again, like I went through this with my team, like after we had to let go because of supply chain issues, not because of the team. They're all great people and I would work with them again at any time. But finding, you know, a soft landing for a team, my team and other teams, we've 
we, I mean, I've worked with a handful of founders now who have shut down their own teams Mm -hmm. and it's, it's a painful process for everybody. I think even for those founders themselves, when they have to decide to shut down, like it's a big kind of question mark. Who are you? What do you do? It's all the questions I asked on my first call with most people, but all the founders and all the employees and everybody in general, again, within this kind of privileged remote work office uh, culture, it's what I call the crisis of meaning. So your work is no longer just a nine to five. I mean, for some of us, it never was, but I think people are looking for something more meaningful. And so if your company is like, let's pick an example, Facebook doing something frivolous or like actively making the world worse, like it actually impacts your happiness, your personal happiness, even if they pay you really well and the stock price keeps going up or whatever. But like a lot of folks there are just not happy with kind of where they sit. Mm-hmm. So they want to find more meaningful stuff. So, you know, early days around this time last year, I was working at a climate tech startup and you would not believe the quality of people that were just coming in. I was like, wow, we're like a seed stage company. Like there's hardly anything out there about us, but I'm getting to talk to all these great people leaving big companies, leaving, you know, Apple. And mm-hmm. um, they just wanted to work on something more meaningful, even though Apple's arguably a great company, right? But the product they were on, the team they were on, the whatever, it wasn't aligned with what they were looking for. So. Do you think the the cause of that, or like, what would you attribute that to? Because I could see it coming from like, kind of the blurring of work and mm-hmm. home. So like your work feels much more closer to yep. like your personal life. So it affects yep. you more. Um, or, or also just the pandemic, right? Like being in a pandemic and being like, okay, what actually really matters? Yep. And like, if, if, if I'm going to die of COVID, like what, what am I going to say I spent my time doing or, yeah. you know, yeah. It's both. So I have a thesis around the blurring between uh, personal and professional life. So that's a whole thing. And the second part is, yeah, it's a little bit of like this existential crisis of like, am I doing the most important thing? Am I working on yeah. things that I'm going to be proud of? since I sit in the office and I, you know, my kids see us working, it's like, they go, what do you do all day? Like, you just talk to people all day. And I was like, no, (laughs) I'm, I'm actually trying to help people find this thing, which there's a Japanese uh, concept called Ikigai. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what you're good at, what the world needs. And the American version of it is like, what you get paid for, you know, the Japanese version is like two circles and the American version is three or four. Oh, really? I didn't know the Americans added that extra circle. Well, I think it's three and then the Americans added a fourth or something like that. And they complicated it. But I I like the classic version of like what the world needs and what you're good at. And then hopefully like you get some value from that. And it's a very Japanese way to think about like the, you know, remember the, um, I dream of sushi guy. Mm -hmm. Like nobody actually dreams to become a sushi chef when they were a kid. But in the work that he's done and the way he thinks about the craft, he's now become a sushi master and therefore he's found his value and that's the most valuable thing that he can do. And so I think more and more people, again, because we have the luxury of sitting at home and think about these things and having this existential crisis around COVID. And our kids, our kids, you know, having to defend our, what we're yeah. doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you don't have kids, you can work at Facebook, but if you have kids and they're like, why are you there? Because Facebook's terrible and it's an old person's network right you really do have to think about but yeah it's like you want to do something so the joke was that uh, as an asian immigrant we used to want to do things that made our parents proud of us Mm. but now as we're later stage in our careers and in our lives we're trying to do things that make our kids proud of us Mm. so that's why i think it's more again with the folks that i work with naturally like you know senior leaders senior software engineers people want to do something really important 
And it doesn't have to be like big scale important. It can be like just important to them. Yeah. But like meaningful to them, right? I think that's way, way more important. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking about hiring managers and teams. Like Mm -hmm. obviously there's like what kind of company you work at, right? Like climate tech startup, it seems like a lot easier for people to be like, this is meaningful work, right? But like, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless of the company, are there things that, or I guess regardless of the space the company is in, are there things that hiring managers should be doing differently given that people are thinking about work differently? Yeah. So, I mean, I have the climate tech startup, which was last year. And then the most recent company was a, a digital healthcare, biotech, hardware, MRI scanner. And that's also very meaningful, but it's a different story that we tell. And like I joined because of my like personal, you know, challenges with medical attention, medical care in the US. I think for hiring managers, like it's not necessarily like selling the mission, but I think the mission is way more important than like the technology. It used to be like, oh, are you using this stack? Are you using this language? Are you using this framework? And like, you know, the best coders wanted to use the most esoteric things. But I think we're past that point where like, you know, the technologies that we use are pretty well known and pretty well established. So it's like, what do you do with that? Like, those are your tools. What are you going to create with those tools? And having that alignment with the team is really important, not just for convincing them to join your team because they'll have multiple offers, but keeping them engaged throughout the time, whether it's two years, four years, whatever, that they're working together. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Cause I've, I've, as a hiring manager, I've interviewed people who have been like, I was like, well, you know, why range? Like, oh, you're a go shop. Like all I want to do is just write go. Like, I'm like, oh, what else is important to you? That That's it. I'm like, oh, that, that to me is <laughs> kind of a red flag of like yeah. all the other things that range yeah. has to offer. That is why people join and are right. successful right. and are happy at range, right? Like, I mean, they would get to write go at range, but like, that's not kind of the, the two-way fit we're yeah. looking for. Yeah. They can do that a lot of places. And then yeah. if the new technology comes up, it's like, now I want to write, you know, solidity or something. It's like, okay, you're going to leave. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But, you know, people who find uh, enjoyment in learning new languages and like jumping from one project to the next are probably not the right people for your team. Yeah. So I always think about matching, you know, software engineers to companies and industries and things like that, but that's pretty easy. Uh, I think it's much, much harder to match people to teams. Mm-hmm. So even for you as a VPE, like you're looking for a certain person, like I make it very, like, it's very personalized. It's almost like, um, like matchmaking. And I don't like making those analogies because a lot of people are like uncomfortable with it. But at the very top of what we do for recruiting, it is much closer to matchmaking than like, you know, resume reviews and sourcing and going through yeah. funnels and things like that. You're like, right. Think- it isn't, it isn't, un- <laughs> it isn't uncomfortable compa- comparison to make. Cause I have told people internally, I'm like, oh, I feel like online dating really prepared me for, <laughs> for like, you know, hiring for a startup. And I don't mean it in a creepy way. Like, you, you know, like either way, it's not creepy. It's just more like I'm comfortable talking to a bunch of people I don't know. And like, yep you know, following up with them yep. and, and, and all that. And just like, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like those steps in the process of recruiting are pretty easy and pretty straightforward, but I think it's the read, mm-hmm. the ability to kind of assess the ability to like, essentially pass judgment on someone. Right. It is much, uh, it is much more difficult than most people understand. 
And I'm only saying this in the context of like, you want to build a strong team that's going to stay together. Like it's relatively easy for me to build a strong team that has no long-term viability. Just get people in the door. Yeah. You mentioned this, that, you know, there's the, there's the hiring part, right? Like did people start on their first day and then there's retention. What Mm -hmm. are the challenges you've seen there, especially with remote teams? Yeah. So with the remote teams, it's really hard to build what I call the esprit de corps. It's Mm -hmm. essentially like camaraderie that we take for granted at early stage companies. When it's like 12 people in a room, everybody knows everybody, everybody knows their, you know, personalities. There's a natural ebb and flow of work. But when everybody's sort of distributed or remote, you know, that that separation does prevent a lot of the unspoken to go unspoken. So it's really hard to build a team. First of all, it's really hard to get that team together to be, mm-hmm. to feel like their team. And then it's really hard to engage that team and to keep them feeling like a team. And unfortunately, I've already seen this happen. I won't, again, won't say which company, but companies that have helped build, if you can't manage and you can't engage the team that's there, mm-hmm. you know, people have opportunities, right? And so I think everybody's trying to find that. And again, with software engineers, they're lucky in that there's huge demand. So they sort of can date around and yeah. like, until they find the right fit. Have you seen, because range is, is, is still pretty small, we're like 12, 13 people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for the people that have joined and I've never met, I do feel like we have processes in place where I, I feel like I know them. I feel mm-hmm. like we've got a good social, you know, rapport, but kind of what you mentioned before, which was like, you know, teams that have been working together for years and then they bring on someone remote and, you know, there's kind of like the in-group and then the, yep. Yep. the people who are outside of that. Have you seen have you seen cases of this being successful and working well? And what are the things teams did to make it work? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's difficult to add new people to a team, whether they're together or not, it's always been difficult. Mm-hmm. It's making sure that they're welcome, making sure that they're, you know, set up to succeed, you know, HR, I usually do recruiting and I kind of hand off once the person starts and HR takes care of them. Mm-hmm. And I've always had like a contentious relationship with HR internally because I don't think they do a good job. And so it does feel like a waste of my efforts to like build this great team and then not have people, you know, stay long-term. But I think one of the things we've done at one of the companies is that we have a quarterly get together. So everybody comes together. Like most of the team is here in HQ uh, on the peninsula, but there's like pockets of teams that are sitting in other areas. So every quarter we fly everybody in, even just for a week. We have a lot of like downtime. So it's not a meeting heavy week. Mm. Uh, so that people can kind of get to know each other. We do, you know, more events and things like that. It's not the same as being, you know, co-working together in the same space, but it does help bridge that gap. And it does help people kind of get to know each other outside of work, outside mm-hmm. of work, even though they're like, they're doing work events, but they get to know each other on a personal level. And so I think that does help build those bonds and it helps strengthen those bonds, even when they go back and work remote for the rest of the three months, right? And then the yeah. next quarter, we do these get-togethers. We do all hands, essentially all hands, but uh, not the weekly all hands meetings on Zoom, but like uh, an all, I don't know what they call them. I think a lot of bigger companies do this a lot, but I think it's worthwhile even for smaller companies. I would argue it's mm-hmm. actually more valuable to smaller companies to get that team together uh, periodically, at least quarterly. Yeah, we're, we're planning our our first one since since the beginning of the pandemic. So I'm, yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to meeting 
meeting yeah. some people. And I, even though I'm like, oh, I know them, you know, I'm sure it'll be different. Like, it, it'll it feel is. Differently. We did this. We did this at the yeah. end of last year. And it was like, oh, I know that person. I talk to them all the right, time. Right, right. And then you're like, oh, I thought you were short. And it's like, no, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually quite tall. Um, yeah. So. Like, I feel like I'll meet them and like have a different experience. And then when I see them on Zoom again, it'll be like, yes. it, it'll be a different experience. Yes, right? It will. It definitely will. Yeah. yeah. You had mentioned this a little bit earlier of like the actual interviewing process being very different. And, mm. and I mean, there's, there's some like pros for the candidate, right? Like you can kind of hop in or like schedule in a bunch of interviews and, and interview at 20 companies. But I imagine that a downside is that it can also feel really like impersonal and isolating as well, because yeah. I just remember interviewing and like, or having people come into the companies and you know, you get a sense of the the office energy and culture. You might, mm. you know, swing by, like they might schedule you in to like swing by the kitchen to see if you want coffee. And then you'd like chat with people there, see what mm-hmm. kind of snacks they have, you know, very important data for your, your, your important decision. But now it's just like, you're just in the zoom room and then people come and like interview you and then they leave. Right. It's yeah. like a very weird experience. Is there anything that you've seen companies do to kind of fill that, like more like team culture gap? That's really hard. I mean, we talk about this for like three hours because I think <laughs> it's it's challenging for everybody, even the teams that think about it a lot. And I think a lot about the candidate experience. So the worst experience though, is we have interview that the person comes into HQ interviews with mostly the team mm-hmm. that's there. And then they go into a conference room and do a Zoom interview with our remote team member. Oh, yeah. Interesting. That's a really odd one, right? So for the teams that are, let's call hybrid or in office, like, yes, mm-hmm. I always recommend that, you know, for the candidate to come in, check out the office, maybe even come in around the commute time, right? Because mm-hmm. you you don't want to like say, oh, this place is great. And I came there for like lunch and there's no traffic. And then the next day or not the next day, but when you start working there, it's like every day I have to drive at 830. Right. You yeah. don't want to like trick someone to no, join your totally, company. Totally. <laughs> I think the overall like overall message I would say is like be very clear and very transparent on everything mm-hmm. and set the expectations and like you know I always like to have the candidates come into the office and you know I think I do my best work in person so um, seeing the office next is really helpful I think most startups at this stage though we you know everybody has a similar perks mm-hmm. we have catered lunches and we take snacks for granted and we get all these drinks and all these fancy drinks and things like that but what you don't get is the sense of like how the team works Mm-hmm. like the office culture, the hours, the, all the like unspoken expectations. So yeah. my, my recommendation, again, this is just a wild idea. I don't know if people do this or not, but one of my, one of my startups is doing this where it's like, you actually start on a 90 day tour of duty mm-hmm. and like you work with everybody. And if you like it, then we'll extend it. If you don't like it, then like no harm, no foul, no expectations beyond that period of time. Mm-hmm. And it's really risky, right? Because you can have really great people and they're like, I just don't think it's great for me. But in the yeah. grand scheme of things, you should actually be like, it's like that old Zappos thing where they're like, if you join and after like 60 days, you don't like it here, we'll pay you to leave. Mm-hmm. Right? Because we ultimately want the strongest team possible that wants to be here. Right. So I think the whole interview process has always been broken. And I think now that the world has changed, we can possibly think about different ways of doing it. Possibly think about different ways of building teams yeah um, and like really assessing kind of the 
not just the candidate individually, because it's like, here's the job rec, here, they just check all the boxes, like that's easy. It's like, here's the sort of gap in my team, and this is where I need this person to operate. And then I think if you're building a team, like sequentially, because recruiting is really hard, no one ever hires like three people at once, but each person you add changes the team. Mm-hmm. So therefore the next person you add, the, the needs and requirements sort of shift. Right. That's so a very organic way of doing it, but it's also very slow. So it's not like you raise, you know, a series A, you need to hire 30 people. It's more like we're going to take this or like take our time and kind of build this team right. Yeah. And even the 90 day thing, right? Like it, it makes a lot of sense for people who like, it can be the right fit for a lot of people, but it can also be like, I guess it can be pretty daunting, right? It's like, well, is this person going to stick around? Mm-hmm. If yes, we'd hire this type of person for the next yep. next one. And if they're not, then like we'd have to like backfill that position. Yeah. But I guess that's true regardless, right? It's mm-hmm. like someone could join, you know, realize it's a two hour commute and then two months in be like, oh, that's not going to be a good, like yep. this isn't working out. Yep. So yeah, my first startup job was at Pulse, I think, which is where I met you. And yep. I, I contracted with them for a week and like, yeah, by that point I had like another offer and it was like, you know, worse in every imaginable way, but I was like, I just like the team. So like, <laughs> yeah. right. It's also, it also helps people get like, every company is going to be like, oh, you got flexible work, like yep. work-life balance, but you actually get to see like all those things that are not just base yep. salary and comp. Yep. And yeah, and that was only one week. Yeah. It was one week. That's yeah. good. I mean, so, I mean, obviously I understand the luxury of being able to like leave a full-time job to take something that might not be another full-time job. But again, like for the people I work with, mostly software engineers, senior software engineers, they do have that luxury because there's multiple, you know, multiple opportunities that are available to them. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to, I don't think what I'm recommending is going to work for everybody, Mm -hmm. but it's just one of the companies I worked with that did it. And yeah. And and you can also try folks that, you know, may not meet all the requirements. I think that's the other challenge. Like everybody's asking me for senior software engineers. There's like, there's some really solid, like mid-level or even juniors that people just pass because they don't have X number of years. Right. That's really short-sighted. Well, they're trying to mitigate that risk. Right. But I've, I've had the experience of like, you know, hiring, not a range, like hiring senior software engineers being like, we really need someone senior. And then they can't get anything done. You're like, well, this other person who's out of school for two years, like gets way more stuff done than this person we're paying like 50 K more to. So yep. <laughs> yep. right. Uh, someone who's already set in their ways versus yep. someone who is a bit more moldable and, and eager to learn. So I've seen yeah. it countless times. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a big, it's a big risk also because you're paying them, you know, senior plus salaries. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Hong. Thank you for taking the time to chat. I think this will be really useful for teams, especially teams that are, you know, maybe doing a hybrid approach or going back in office soon, just thinking through, yeah, how to how to build their team, both both hiring and retention as well. Yeah, I think the last thing I would say about that is mm-hmm. like be very clear what you're looking for and don't sort of like try to, you know, say, oh, we can offer flexibility, we can offer a remote. Cause like the truth is if you don't, those people are not gonna be happy. So, and I think it's fine to say we're a fully in-office team because there are people looking for that too. Because yeah. now we're at the tail end of the pandemic, hopefully. And I interviewed mm-hmm. a person who was at a big company and he's like, I just miss being with my team. Yeah. Was, that was what he was looking for. He didn't actually care about what the product was. He didn't care what stack it was. He was like, I miss that team. Yeah. And that's why I felt like, you know, 
that was the most meaningful thing for him. And I'm glad that he found it. I think people are getting more clear on what they want. Like at first going into this hiring market, I was pretty apprehensive. So I was like, you know, no way an early stage startup can compete with the, the big company salaries. But I think you're actually, I'm, what I'm actually seeing is that people are getting more clear on what they want. And so they're kind of self-selecting out, or even in my first call, I can be like, Hey, what are you looking for? Because yeah. like, you know, you can get paid a lot more, <laughs> or, you know, applying to any of these companies. So yeah. 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 Cool. Well, Thank you good so luck much. Building teams. Thanks for listening to Lead Time Chats. I'd love to hear your thoughts or feedback on the episode, so feel free to email me at gene at range.co. And if you're interested in trying out Range with your team, we'd love to offer you two months free. Just go to range.co and use promo code LeadTimeChats. Thanks again and see you next time.